This is the one with a creepy cube-carrying kid. A coxie cameo. A countdown conclusion causing cardiac calamity. A calm collected Kate. And the doctor keeps it up for an hour. It's called The Power of Three. Here we go. We're still on our epic race. All through time and all through space. We're slipping and angels are. Dalek, Cyber, Zood and wow. Counting Sonic's rating out. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whittaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be. But who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the N092nd episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Docpast. That's it. (laughs) I am but one of three co-hosts tonight, an appropriate, topical, satisfying number. I am Drew Back When. (laughs) Sat on the sofa to my right is... Hello everyone, I'm Leon. Sat in the armchair to my left is... It's me, Jim. Hello. Yes, the power of three. No room for Marie. That's all we've got today. (laughs) (laughs) Alas, Marie can't be with us. So you got me instead. What do you mean you instead? You're no mere substitute. Oh, so nice of you. (laughs) (laughs) It's the nicest thing I've ever said to any co-host on this broadcast. (laughs) (laughs) Just glad I'm on a separate sofa. (laughs) So this one, eh? Power of three. Top level? Liking it? Oh, you're saying give us a top level sort of overview rather than was this in your top level of episodes i'll take your pick well eh, and no (laughs) fair enough i didn't like it as much as i thought i remembered liking it the first time around and i'm pleasantly surprised that chibbers managed to create this is this why you wrote this alliterative ccc intro in honor of chris chibnall the creator it isn't it's purely coincidental but another one jim you just you don't even know you're doing it at this point Maybe we can uh, edit it so it sounds like, yes, this is entirely for Chibbers. No, it's not. It's not for Chibbers. <laughs> Go on, edit that so it sounds like it's for Chibbers. It's I'll, not for Chibbers. I'll keep that sound bias and, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, shall we maybe be scowards? Oh, yeah. yeah. Let's do that. Time for us to synopsize, lurbify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview, this referral. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. Amy and Rory are worried that they can't carry on living a double life and will have to choose between a human existence on Earth or travelling with the Doctor. The Pond's preambling pondering is cut short, however, when millions of black cubes appear across the globe. Cue the start of an awkward sitcom where a 1,200-year-old alien has to stay with a nurse and a travel journalist to babysit some inanimate boxes. Oh, and don't forget the nurse's dad, who will be making guest appearances as the outsider who questions the menage a trois between the main cast. The cubes seem safe enough at the start and don't respond to any stimuli. But surely it's only a matter of time before their real purpose is exposed and the doc can get up off the sofa to save the day. Be scout over, you are welcome, aren't you just? Where do you want to start, dooby dooby? Probably with a question from you. (laughs) (laughs) Dooby dooby. Doop doop. What happened to Amy's modelling career? Flushing toilet noise effect here. (laughs) (laughs) Well... I mean, do we want to get into this right at the beginning? The whole timeline of this series? It's a vast topic. Is her career change somehow explained through their popping in and out of their own timeline? They're not popping in and out of their own timeline. Well, they sort of are. Yeah, they are. At one point, Amy says to the Doctor in this episode, it's been ten years on and off since you started coming around. Yep. 
Oh, yeah. Now, even if you take into account two years in the 11th hour or whatever, then two seasons, maybe four years max, we've seen up to the end of series six. That leaves six years between then and now, effectively, for her and Rory to have got into and just barely out of a divorce and several interim careers. That's true. That is a very good point, actually. Yeah. And every week she's said, it's been nine or ten months since the last time we saw you. But... That doesn't mean it was necessarily nine or ten months since the last televised adventure, the last broadcast episode. It could have been a couple of years at a time. It's all very implicit and actually quite annoying, and I may go into more wait, detail it, Wait, explain later. that last point one more time. So it's been ten months since the last adventure, but it may not have been ten months? Since we saw it. Oh, since last. we saw it, yeah, yeah. Because they, allude, they have a number of adventures here in the middle of a party that we don't see most of. There are plenty of adventures that we'd have seen absolutely nothing of. True. Yeah, I got a bit annoyed with this, I have to say. It's a lot to ask of the audience to accept that they've been traveling in between stuff. They've been having significant things happening in their lives, like changing jobs and all this kind of stuff. And then we just jump in at some random point and have to kind of weigh up them going, oh... Our lives are progressing, and we keep traveling with the doctor. It's like, well, no, you weren't last week. Last week it was it was just a normal Tuesday, and I don't know you were traveling quite happily. Well, that's not true because they've been umming and ahhing about this for about three episodes now. But yeah, which maybe five or six years apparently. Well, yeah, but it's it's left it's left a lot to the audience to have to fill in the gaps, isn't it? But what is the big problem with this lifestyle? I mean, the, the, dipping in and out of their own timeline every let's say once a year. Is that really that big a, big a deal? The only problem would be if they are away for a, an incredibly long period of time. And at one point, it is alluded to that, that they've been away for like maybe a couple of weeks. Seven weeks. Oh, seven weeks? Well, they, no, they, I mean for the rest of the world. Yeah, they travel seven weeks in a matter of minutes. Minutes, yeah, exactly. Oh, right, right, I'm, right. I'm thinking of when uh, Rory's at the hospital, yeah. and he's, like, when he's about to be offered a permanent gig, they go like, you're, you're great, you're, you're a fantastic nurse and lifesaver, but you went away for like two weeks. I think oh, they actually yeah. said two months. Oh, really? Yeah, two months? yeah this do. is where I started losing it a bit. Because if they've been traveling for ten years on and off with the doctor, and they're losing two months at a time during some of these trips they should be missing persons like yeah <laughs> there will be people in their lives that are like what the fuck is going on with yeah. amy and rory how not no one's not just you're a part-time staff nurse um it's well, it's really annoying we can't get hold of you all the well, time i want to know how being a part-time nurse works because it doesn't seem like he is a part-time nurse it feels like he's some sort of freelance hero uh, <laughs> occasionally <laughs> dipping in and out of the hospital's business and they put up with this because he's the unstoppable ultimate lifesaver yeah this is some utopian vision of how a zero hours contract really isn't <laughs> this is the exact opposite yeah. He would not be invited back. No, they would no. be like, we can't count on you. Yeah. Especially he wouldn't be saying, ah, and I want to give you a full-time exactly. job. It's like, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't be saying, Rory, you're a lifesaver. He would be saying, dozens of people have died because we expected you to come in and you just weren't in, yeah. in contact. We were understaffed again. Yeah. <laughs> Three people died, Rory. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. That's exactly what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> also, this episode was aired 22nd of September 2012. That came after Sherlock Series 2, right? Oh, right, okay. Yeah, Sherlock Series 2 was January 2012. This year was the year of Moffat sort of disorienting viewers and having them make up their own minds as to what was going on. They weren't giving out all the information. The most you get is a month, and you don't know what year that month is. I mean, this could be 2019 at this point for them, or 20. 
18 or something or 2020 if it's 10 years and it was 2010 in series 5 I, I don't know what year this is that's a bloody good point I hadn't considered that yeah and it's it's a bit much to say if you're a true fan you will come up with your own theory about what we're doing and thereby orient yourself and you will satisfy yourself by that answer we won't do it for you people can be confused but if you're a true fan you'll let us off the hook it's it's a very Hmm. I don't know, self-contradictory stance to be taken. I don't like it. It feels like a cult. (laughs) (laughs) Come join us, Drew. (laughs) You know those things that used to matter to you? If you love us, they won't matter to you anymore. Like continuity and sense. Yeah. I I don't remember this being as big an issue with previous companions in New Who. Like, I guess maybe we didn't see their home life quite as much. Certainly, that's what they're doing a lot with Amy and Roy towards the end of their run. But the whole thing about the TARDIS not always going where it needs, well, wants to go, but goes where it needs to go. Not where the Doctor wants to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, That's all fine that side, but it kind of seemed that people got to go home without it disrupting their lives too much. And I think they come back with that. Yeah, with maybe that, that they've Clara. aged more. Yeah, well, yeah. Clara has that perfect balance in this case, yeah. right? And it just seems a very throwaway, because I don't think they've even addressed it much with Amy and Roy before. But in this one, it's a massive point that they have moved forward 10 years by traveling with the Doctor, and they've missed huge chunks of their time on Earth. And people are, you know, starting to notice. Yeah. The thing that annoys me about that as well is... Okay, if you land in June, but you aimed for April, you can reprogram the TARDIS and, and do a bounce, unless the Doctor says, oh, because you landed in June, you can't possibly see June twice. It's a fixed point now. Yeah. You're on your own. Bye. Don't forget your key. Exactly. It's, like, it, it's fine if you, you turn up in the Savoy, and it's, it's not the exact date you wanted to go to the Savoy, other than it being the opening night, which I guess would be a bit of a bummer. But Lots of free rooms on opening night. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there are when the Zygons are taking control, I guess. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yes, yes. A crashed alien ship underneath a, a large building full of people. Doesn't sound familiar at all. Oh, oh no. It's yes. closing, closing time. time all over again. <laughs> oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. As is the lift being a portal to somewhere. Oh, I know. True. I know. I thought about that as well. It's was in co- his notes. Was closing, nights, uh, it, closing, nights, was closing time also a Chibber's one? No, that was Gareth Roberts. Ah, oh, well done. But clearly there's a, there's a very a small cabal of writers at this point, and they are all just plagiarising each other. Get, get some external influences in, guys. Stop circle jerking each other off. Did you spot any Chibber's trademarks in this one? I spotted one. What's, what's that? The, uh, I, I'm comparing this to the, the Dalek, oh, was it the New Year's Day Dalek episode? Resolution. Resolution, thank you. Where we also got an alien that just learns everything there is to know about humanity and our defences by surfing the web and absorbing everything through it. Well, this one managed to do it through a TV set, which yeah. is quite impressive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is before most people had smart TVs as well. Yeah, true. Anyway. Yeah, but yeah, but the Doctor brought that from the future for Amy and Rory as a special present. Oh, uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The other Chibnall's trope I noticed okay. was how they're talking to someone and he turns out not to be really there, like Art Malik in the Ghost Monument. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah, there you go. I didn't make that connection, but I did compared to the holographic timeship, the lodger. No, not the lodger. No, that is the lodger. It is the lodger. Yeah, is yeah. it the lodger? It's the lodger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel like... We should move on. You can, no, yeah, I just. <laughs> I feel like you're gonna bring my score tumbling down. I was. I really enjoyed this episode. Oh, good. Let's hear some more about that. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, 
really like Brian. Brian's fantastic. Brian's among the best parts of this episode. Brian makes no sense. You're right. Okay. He's also possibly the worst dad. (laughs) (laughs) Go on, Jim. What did you like about Brian? It was sense he's the worst dad. his kids all growing up anyway. Uh, excuse me. We were talking like a moment ago. We were having a massive conversation about how none of their friends seem to react to them being away, or like their employers don't seem to react to them being away for extended periods of time. This is Rory's dad, like his blood, and he's completely fine with them disappearing for chunks of time. No, see, I think this is the problem where with the continuity of the writing during this period of who. Okay. So I think until we met Brian. Is ne- there's never any implication that they've they've missed time on Earth. They've been bouncing back and forwards and always coming back at the point they left. Is there nothing about that? I mean, I don't know. Because in series like five, Rory's like, can't we just settle down in Ledworth? And I feel like maybe there's a bit of tension there about how Amy's never there, or maybe I'm just transposing that back from. Down I don't know. Cl- I mean, maybe, maybe there is a bit. But does I- the dad live in Ledworth? No, they've moved now, haven't they? But Brian as well. I guess they moved to wherever Brian was. I don't know. Um, or or he moved with fair. them. But yeah, I, when when Rory's mum calamitously died, but we never heard about it, Brian moved back to be near Rory and Amy. Fair. But I think now that he is part of the, the club that knows that they travel and knows who the Doctor is, now he's he's more aware that they disappear for time periods and he, yeah. does, he doesn't care. He knows that they're, they're off travelling with the Doctor. Yeah, they change their clothes at a party and Brian's immediate reaction isn't, oh, they must have spilt something down their tops. It's, they must have been spirited away by the magic man in his magic box. No, 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 excuse me, no. The the automatic reaction on his part and probably on on the part of everyone who doesn't say anything, like everyone who isn't Brian is, they clearly just went upstairs and shagged. Yeah, and it got all over their clothes, which was the only reason they'd have ended up changing. (laughs) It was really sloppy. Oh, I'm really sorry I came all over myself. That's my best Rory. <laughs> <laughs> After Darvel, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, I like Brian. Stop it. Stop ragging on Brian. Do you like Brian's uh, vlog? Yes. It's I charming. Lo- I, think, I love yeah. how... Because I think that this is the one that is actually kind of written quite well, ignoring that they keep saying they've lost time. and But he's he's really embraced being this kind of extra cog of the the TARDIS team wheel. Yeah. And so if he's given a task, he just sits down diligently and stares at those cubes, god damn it. Yeah, you can rely on Brian. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I th- I think you're absolutely right about that, but I think that it doesn't fit into the rest of the episode. It doesn't fit into the rest of Brian. Oh really? How do you mean? What I mean is we've had Brian in two episodes. And at the end of the first episode, Brian became this world traveller. Oh yeah, he was completely changed from who he was at the beginning, and he went off around the world. Okay, maybe some extra years have passed that we weren't privy to, but at the end of this episode, he's perfectly fine with sitting and looking after the plants. And okay, he's been sitting and looking after cubes for three hundred and sixty-one days, but this is not the guy who was sending the postcards and living an adventurous life. That's true. And this was that was written by Chibnall as well. Chibnall wrote both of Brian's episodes. So what is he playing at? Hmm. I don't know. I can conceive you kind of go on a traveling bender and get out of your system a bit and then... Run out of money. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he just comes back and maybe he does want to go with, you know, the Doc and Co, but he's not invited. Oh, no, he is invited. Yeah. I'll take it back. Explicitly invited. That's true. Yeah. And and, and the doctor doesn't even say, you know, you know, Brian, I can can grow plants in my solarium. It's next to the swimming pool. (laughs) 
So yeah, that was the thing that annoyed me about Brian. There is lots of great stuff about Brian, where he's sitting alone in the TARDIS with his thoughts for four days. (laughs) (laughs) Puddle puddle of stuff alone. Does no one else think about the biological factors when people (laughs) sit somewhere for days? Absolutely dead. Yeah, no, same here. (laughs) Sitting in his own feces. He hasn't eaten for four days, by the way. Yeah, It's the TARDIS, so you can kind of do a bit of a hand wave, I suppose. Oh, you mean like it transports all the poo out of his trousers (laughs) and puts it back in his stomach? (laughs) I meant more it plays with time. Maybe his digestive system doesn't need to work. Oh, I see. I don't know. His digestive system is time-locked. Yeah, exactly. He is really charming, though. He is no Wilf, but he is very charming. Yeah, there was also the bit where they're all saying, my cube caught fire, my cube blew up Mongolia, my cube rattled. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, there's just one more thing I didn't like about Brian and how he was underserved and not the continuity wasn't very good in this episode. Rory and Amy are lying in bed talking about real life. We're settling down in real life. In the last episode that Brian appeared in, Rory and... Brian made this amazing breakthrough. Instead of snipping away at each other, they became properly bonded as father and son and respectful of each other. Why isn't Rory saying, Brian is an important part of my real life. Me and my dad now have this functioning relationship. And so I'd like to stay here partly because of that. They do kind of, I see what you're saying, but they do kind of make up for that by having Brian tell them that despite all the risks that he's aware of in in them traveling with the doctor, tell them go on these adventures. You will never have this chance again. So they have his blessing to leave him behind. Yeah, I like that as well. Because I like, I like that prior to that as well, he's quizzed the Doctor about the companions that he's previously had. It's like, how bad is this for Roy and Amy? Like, are you basically going to get them killed? And even though it sounds like he could get them killed, the Doctor could lose his companions, um, Brian still weighs it up and says, you know what, you're going to regret it if you don't do it. Hmm. Yeah, you know what? I'm so boring at this point. You've really got nothing to gain by sitting around watching me watching plants. You know, maybe he just decided traveling wasn't for him. He did all that traveling and he was like, you know what? No, I'm better just staring at a plant. Yeah. I'm more, more useful to the world that way. Honestly, you have one dodgy meal. In, <laughs> I don't know. Well, if it's the start of your traveling journey, he's smiling in all those postcards, but he's miserable the rest of it. <laughs> what else we got? Unit. Yes. The return of Eunice and the return of Lethbridge Stewart. Yeah. And she's awesome. She's fantastic. Not the first time that this character has appeared, it turns out. Oh? Do tell. There was a... Oh, I should, I should have looked up what this was called. Is this the straight-to-DVD things? Yeah. Was it called Time... Time Shock? Shock Wave? Time Shock with... Time Wave. Oh, time work because time shock is Davison and Tennant, isn't it? Oh, that's not it then. Oh, you're right, it is. But anyway, so there was a director VHS unlicensed <laughs> film, like a spin-off film with without the Doctor, but with Bagels and his daughter made an appearance, and his daughter in that was called Kate. Nice. And in a way that that's now presumably embraced as canon. Is that Nicholas Courtney? Is that his name? Yeah. Boom. Yeah. I'm nailing this trivia. <laughs> so so it was him and presumably not this actress at some point in the 80s or something. Did you look this up as well, Jim? I, was I'm, it Sarah Jane Smith? I'm on Wikipedia. Is it Sarah Jane Smith and the and the Brig? Um, just seeing who who's that. It's called Downtime. Mm. And there there is another one which is Damon's oh, Damus Rising. <gasps> Damus Rising? As in a sequel to uh, The Damons. 
I want to see both of these but bonus episodes. Are they really canon? He's or maybe they're not canon. Things? I don't know. They're on the fringes of canon. Oh my god, the downtime thing has is it's written as a sequel to the Abominable Snowman, second Doctor serial apparently. And, oh, and the, the Yeti. Yeah, so it has that's the very first serial to feature the Great Intelligence, and it has Robot Yeti in it and real Yeti as well. Yeah. So yeah, it's Sarah Jane Smith, the Brigadier, and his daughter, played, played by a totally different actress. Yeah, of course. But yeah, the, the Kate Stewart that we see in this. Can I speak for us all and say that she gets off to a really good start? Everyone just loves her? I yeah. think so, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, she's good. She's got a nice sort of cutting edge to her wit. Yeah. The dogs do love her run out. <laughs> <laughs> and she's putting science first. Yeah. That kind of thing. She feels really very good. much like Bagel's daughter. Is, is yeah. Bagel's into the science then? No, but he's convinced of the merits of non-soldiering okay, by okay. the doctor. Yeah. And I mean, he's the one who's in charge of... The, he's basically the liaison on Earth with the Doctor, right? And he, so his wit is very comparable to how they've written Kate in this one. But he was obviously more of a... He was a, he was a soldier. He was a you know, yeah. guns-first kind of guy. But he would invariably be convinced by the Doctor that, oh, actually, there's a better way of doing this. Right. Occasionally that involved a better weapon. <laughs> <laughs> But it would be fair to say he's a bit more of the old school stiff off littedness as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. But, but still. One question I had is, does the doctor with bagels go in for the handshake and then do the thumbing the nose? Because otherwise, what's the what, what was the point of that? Yeah. I did, don't he have a, did he have a thing with bagels that he used to give him? Not that we've encountered yet on Who Back When. He used to tap him on one shoulder and appear at the other. <laughs> but that seems like the kind of thing that Tom Baker might do. So mm. I wouldn't be surprised. We haven't yet seen The Last of Bagels. Yeah, very possibly that'll come up. I thought that the actress did very well. There was a little bit of strain in particular scene, but that was more the writing strain and everything. Oh, yes, he guided me right to the very end. Remember, the previous actor has died, and we're reminding you of this at every opportunity we can. Yeah, I agree. That was maybe a little ham-fisted. Can I say what I didn't like about Unit? Okay. And it, not about Kate, but about how they put Kate front and centre. I think Kate needs a Benton. Or at least some support staff that do something. Other, yeah. Other than be shouted at as glasses. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. So yeah. We, we had the brigadier occasionally barking orders at his subordinates, but he had at least one, most often two, senior staff members, as in, like, subordinates to him, but that was still senior enough to be name-checked on the show, with whom he had a rapport, and uh, that humanized him as he wasn't just a soldier, he was a guy that you'd very happily go down to the pub with. Yeah. Here we have Kate, who only has this, in this episode, she only has that rapport with the Doctor, and is the first time that they've met, so it's not really legitimized, but everyone else that she interacts with, she is just barking orders at. Yeah. yeah. Later on, I can't remember how long Kate persists until government austerity cutbacks eventually do away with unit entirely. But in oh, the yeah. in the Zygon doubleheader with Capaldi, isn't there a different glasses sort of scientist, a lady scientist called Oz something? Os- yeah, Oswin. Oswin, yeah. W- with the... Uh, wait, Oswin? It can't be Oswin. No, it's not Oswin. Hang on, wait. Osbert. Oh. Osmund. Oh. Os- yeah. Osmund, I don't know. Bing bong, future Leon here. That would be Osgood. Bing bong. 
we the, uh, we encountered someone on Classic who recently who had the same surname in the Daemons, in fact, I think. This is the lady that's a Doctor fan. She's got the and scarf, scarf and everything. And yeah. Stuff. yeah. Yeah. So maybe like, she doesn't get a subordinate that is anything better than glasses now, but she will in future episodes. Yeah. yeah. I think, I don't know, I think Leon's point still stands, though, because I don't know if, I mean, obviously we haven't got to there yet, but I don't know if she ends up talking much with Scarf Lady. I don't know if she's just a character that, again, has more rapport with the TARDIS team. Ah. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Because I, I think Bagels and Benton do give each other a bit of jiving, but Benton also does talk with people, and I think he's almost a bit more down-to-earth than the Brig can be at times. Yeah, that's true. Um, be- because whereas, he's like the normal working man. Yeah. yeah, so I wonder if maybe they kind of felt like Kate was bridging both those things so she could talk more directly with people straight off the bat. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's a failure. Yeah. But maybe it's trying to cram too much into one episode. Uh, it- is it? Because, and I interject at this point on a purely numerical basis, this episode was 41 and a half minutes long, and it was padded out with plenty of montages and flash cuts and super zippy whatever you call them. Which is an interesting observation, because twice in my notes I've written that something progresses way too abruptly. Yes, yes, there are also some very quick edits. But, I mean, not just the editing, just narratively. The plot. Yeah. Try not to cram... I, I felt that they had crammed too much into this episode, that this was maybe something that merited a double feature so that we get to know all the characters better. You can then also... You have the time that you can devote to having a Benton-ish character or a Scarf Lady character. Yeah, yeah. and also it would suit the slow invasion, slow it down a bit. Mm. Mm, very true. How are we supposed to get a feeling that it's... It's really slow when you get the doctor painting a fence at 500 miles an hour. <laughs> that was fun, though. Was it? I found it quite annoying. Uh, I thought it was a little annoying as well. I mean, I don't want to sit and watch the paint dry or anything. But, <laughs> but the whole... Just business. It, it started to grate after a while. Uh, I don't know. It left me with a smile on my... Like, I was kind of sighing at it at the same time. But I was smiling. <laughs> I can relate to the rest of us. I think the bigger problem I have with this episode... And I did. I super enjoyed watching it, and now my critical brain is turned on. Mm-hmm. I'm not enjoying it as much, but it's just that's what we're here for, podcast. Exactly, is <laughs> <laughs> just the entire plot after the cubes are a mystery. So once they do the countdown, which finishes, Drew. Yes, it does. An- Second in a row, another countdown that finishes. Are uh, you yeah. happy with that? <laughs> I was happy with it at the time. In retrospect, as Jim is saying, it was where the episode <laughs> began to completely fall to pieces. <laughs> Because it, like it, it sounds like things are incredibly astronomically important at this point. Because a third of the population has just been killed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like this, this should be like holy fuck moment. And then they have a thing in the hospital, which Rory happens to work at. And it, yeah, coincidence. There's, there's a kid that's it originally looks like she's been coerced by a cube. And you later find out that she was an android or something. At, yeah, I mean, we, we talked before about and... how maybe the employment policies of this hospital should be revised, but what kind of operation are they, no pun intended, running at this hospital <laughs> where they don't notice that some unaccompanied minor is uh, waiting for days and days without rest, water, <laughs> any uh, yeah. form of sustenance? Five days short of a year. 361 days she's sitting in there. Oh, do we good. see her right at the start, do we? Well, maybe not. Yeah, but, but give or take, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I, think, the, I think there's a f- the time jumps 
that we get in the Doctor leaving, coming back, leaving, coming back, do appear after her first yeah. appearance. Oh, see, we- so now I've fallen prey to that it jumping back and forth, because I thought it was just maybe a handful of days, but if it's almost a year, <laughs> that's even worse. And I'm pretty sure Cube Face Guy... Do we see him in the same scene as when we first see the child? That's oh, true. You, you mean hair dry mouth? Yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> Did, I mean, at, at some point, surely there's... Uh, they're not going to close down the hospital, but there's going to be a night shift. And at some point, someone must walk up to this girl and go, like, it's time for you to leave. <laughs> like, I don't know what you're waiting for, but it ain't happening. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think if she's on... I mean, they don't know what waiting list she's on. There could easily be a waiting list that's over a year at this point. And she's like, eh, she's probably going to get seen tomorrow. Just keeps stringing it out. She doesn't raise a fuss. Nobody's going to take any notice. They're busy people. They're that rushing back and forth. That is a terrible hospital. That is a terrible hospital. It's every hospital. No. No, no I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> I'm not criticizing the overworked, you know, selfless people of the NHS. I'm just saying that's the reality. They're just happy she's not on a trolley with gangrene in the corridor at this point. Can we just jump back to the point that you made a moment ago, Jim? I was really sorry for having derailed that about the girl, but the, you mentioned like a third of the population has died. Yeah. A, that third of the population is then resuscitated after a long period of being dead. Being dead. <laughs> so, and roughly- no, you see, because all the time that they're on the Shakri ship, the Shakri exists outside of time. So that whole scene can be written away. But isn't that... Oh, really? Yeah. Well, isn't, I don't think so. Doesn't that mean... I mean, we see people falling down and then after a while getting back up. So well, if, With no medical help. On the news, it's like people are being resuscitated and helped. No, they're not. They're just getting up. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not a cut, paste, no one noticed anything. These people never died in the first place. They absolutely died. And worst, like, best case scenario, they were dead for maybe a minute. But that still means that millions upon millions of people are now like severely brain damaged, and the Earth well, is in big trouble. The yeah. bigger issue I have with this whole thing. Yeah, shut up, Leon, about your little issue. No, because come on, Jim, because that is terrible. <laughs> like there should there should be some kind of after effect, at the very least, that they have had a heart attack yeah. and they've been out of it for a minute or so. Then they get a jolt and they're back in. They should be, at the very least, a bit groggy. Come on. A good thing Rory's been offered a permanent position now because he's going to be needed. Yeah. But <laughs> he's going to be able to command thousands of pounds an hour. <laughs> Here, Roman, to say the day. <laughs> but in the context of this episode, the Doctor, who has two hearts, uh-huh. makes a big fucking deal about losing one. He's rolling around in agony, oh, still true. trying to function gets uh oh what's the bloody thing defibrillator that's the one defibrillator to coax him back to life but you know he's animated he's a bit weird about it but he's having a reaction to having a defibrillator to bring his heart back to life By he, the way, he ha- doesn't just stand up and casually go about his business no that's true <laughs> like the entire third of the population does that have had heart attacks that is very true <laughs> <laughs> and also, the defibrillator is handled by someone who is completely inexperienced on someone whose physiognomy may not be... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She just killed the other heart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you got that one working, but now the other one's stopped. Quick, the other... No! <laughs> no. Oh, fuck, do it again. No, now we've got a flashing light situation. <laughs> <laughs> a bit to the left. Oh, no, you're at the left. <laughs> <laughs> She doesn't know where she's putting those paddles. She just wanted to see his chest. Come on. <laughs> yeah, she's been waiting 25 years for that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he, he does scream, no, I'm a Time Lord. It won't work. And it does. Yeah. 
He screams that? Yes. Oh, that's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, she hangs out with Rory, and Rory just constantly droning on about defibrillation. Uh, she so thinks she's not taking it Automatically, in. she's now picked up first aid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. As we have said, th- this is when the episode falls to pieces. Th- can we talk about the Shakri? Yeah. Because the Shakri... <laughs> Uh, by the way, the Shakri is played by Stephen Burkhoff, who's been acting since 1958. Is he known for the things? I didn't realise that was Stephen Burkhoff. Yes. Who's Stephen Burkhoff? Stephen Burkhoff, he was a Bond villain. He did, Stephen Burkhoff is a legendary bad guy, I would say, a bad guy actor. Yeah. Not thanks to this episode. Now I, now I see it. I did not... Oh, I didn't realise that. Ah, look at uh, his little pl- face. Oh, plus points. <laughs> Can we put a picture of your little face on whobackwhen.com? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, the Shakri serving the Tally and all this business and all this. Th- this seems to be a huge cosmic deal for humanity, for potentially the cosmos in general. And I looked on TARDIS Wiki and I was like, okay, they'll have appeared in a stream of audios and comics and maybe future episodes that I've forgotten. No, it is brought up here and then completely wiped from the Doctor Who slate. And it seems completely... It seems preposterous that they would go this big and then drop it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Because their whole shtick is basically wiping out civilizations. Is that right? Well... They're, they're like mopping up the universe, things that aren't good enough. Yeah, they're, yeah basically. They're subjecting civilizations to their merited judgment. Yeah, they're, they're tallying whether they're, they're worth keeping. Yeah, and although the Doctor makes a very pretty speech about humanity and how it strives and achieves and fails but keeps learning and it's is very humanist and optimistic and, and a really nice speech that a- makes absolutely zero difference to this propaganda interface who just disappears and then lets them get on with it yeah. it's it's a complete non-ending to this episode in every conceivable way hmm. and i think it it doubly bothers, bothers me because it is this gallifreyan legend it's like mm. Gallifrey is always this kind of mysterious thing, for the most part, in Doctor Who. For them to be in awe. Yeah, for them to be in awe of something, and and it just to have a connection to Gallifrey, mm. should be treated with some reverence and gravitas, and, you know, and they just, yeah, they squandered it. Damn it, Drew! <laughs> maybe, maybe hate it even more. Sorry, Jim. <laughs> um, I've, I've looked up Stephen Burkhoff, because I, I felt like I recognised him somewhere outside uh-huh. of Bond, and realised it's from Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sold. This guy is A-list. I, I feel like he's Lethal Weapon material as well. Isn't he the bad guy in Lethal Weapon 1 or 2? Bing bong. Nope. Different guy. Bing bong. Um, if you want to look up Stephen Burkhoff's career, feel yeah. free to do so. Podcast yeah, yeah. Right. Go to whobackone.com where we won't be furnishing you with a link to IMDb, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm really happy that that was Stephen Burkhoff. So in the same kind of orbit with the Shakri. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Looking down at the earth. <laughs> <laughs> Unintentional, but thank you. Did we get an understanding of what the hell the hairdryer-faced orderlies were doing? Why they were collecting people? No, no, not no. at all. It's not. It's not. Dis- it's not explained. Like, is this, it- this was explained in the part two of this serial that was never aired. <laughs> also, the cube-faced people are they fellow robots or Who knows? are they like cubed people? They're not Shakri. No, they're not Shakri exactly. But they're not the tally either. And the Shakri clearly capable of creating androids that will blend in perfectly in human yeah. society. That so don't perfectly, need a bloody no mouth hospital guard. orderly will ever notice. Exactly. <laughs> but these ones have 
completely deformed cube heads or cube mouths. Which is why they have to be unleashed in a hospital. Yeah, so I can wear the surgical mask. It all adds up. It, no, it does not. <laughs> it absolutely Just drop does. them in Japan. Or, or anywhere there's <laughs> a Japanese looted. tourist. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you're right, though, that it's, it's not a long episode, but you could cut that out entirely. Absolutely. And it seems like they're rescuing Brian, by the way, because he's abducted and placed in one of those beds in the Shakri yeah. ship. Yeah, never mind the other people on the beds, though. No, they can no. just blow up with the ship. Yeah, which they do, by the way. But <laughs> yeah. then they, they roll Brian out of there, and he's just dumbfounded looking back, being rolled backwards, which is a lovely scene, by the way, and the look on his face is great. <laughs> but no one puts up a fight. Like, no one goes, hey, that's our patient, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and what's unforgivable about all of this that we're talking about is in 2012 they broadcast precisely six episodes they had plenty of time to get this right but not much money i think maybe not much money but if you're gonna spend money on making hairdryer people either say yes we'll give them a role that is complete and makes sense or spend that money on four minutes more of footage wait save money by not having hair dryer faces and yeah no hair dryer people no creepy child dialogue costs nothing no chakra ship i think i think creepy children are actually quite cheap jim well (laughs) (laughs) they're cheap but they're also cheap you don't even have to pay a minimum wage (laughs) oh that's a zinger (laughs) i because i think the cube concept is really lovely and the cubes themselves are gorgeous yeah it's a really simple effect but the Every time it displays something in the cube, it kind of sits properly around all the different surfaces. Like you see, it's it's kind of displayed inside the cube. It's mm. not just shown on a on a surface at a time. Really simple effect. Looks gorgeous. They're so mysterious. You get this weird countdown out of nowhere. Yeah, like it's that, a really it's a cool idea as like well. Why not just like the cubes could have combined, or they could have just been kind of like the Atmos system they had in the Sontaran thing. Like the cubes yeah. start taking over technology. Or, you know, it could have been a totally different ending, which didn't have to be high budget. Like I'm sure they could have made it more a thought piece than an action piece. Um, yeah, for the first 25 minutes, this was a thought piece. Yeah. And I'm sure that we watched it in 2012 and thought, this is a great suspenseful mystery up to the point that it all goes wrong. And then we forget that point. And then this last week, we experienced that all over again. Yeah. I mean, like, this is really profoundly simple, and, and, and in that, it, it's really intriguing. But then they blow it. Question about the cubes. So, at, at a certain point, it's divulged by the doctor, or it's ascertained by the doctor that the cubes, because they all act differently, each individual cube is tailored to its owner, in a way. Like it is. You think? It, does he not say this? Like, oh, it, they're all doing what we want them to do. Oh, so Brian's just waiting for the slightest movement. Oh, was it? I think I missed this. Isn't I thought they were kind said? of quite random tests, I thought, but I maybe th- I missed something. Oh, maybe I, miss- maybe I misunderstood that. Well, I mean, Amy's very spiky. <laughs> Rory is always running around trying to catch up with the action. And the Doctor is always getting shot at by things. So, yeah, yeah it just checks out for me. Actually, yeah, because the Doctor one, I, I assumed it had kind of identified him as a genuine threat. And wanted to eliminate him quickly or something. Mm, but that, yeah. that actually never gets... In actual fact, it's sort of a response to his paranoia or something yeah, like maybe. that. But, mm. it, but that also makes... Okay, well, it, I, I don't want to speculate any further on this, frankly, because maybe I've completely misunderstood this or I'm misremembering. But at the time, I thought, okay, these are now... It, it's, I mean, they're basically a Trojan horse device, right? The, the idea is we plant these... Little boxes or cubes, people will take, bring them into their homes, then we attack. 
Yeah. But why only moments before the attack, after they've been around for ages and ages and ages, do they start to act in any way? Well, I guess so that people would bring them into their houses. No, but it's too late at this point. They've already been around for a year. Yeah. Yeah, Brian's been videotaping his thing for, is it not almost a year that he's been doing that? Absolutely nothing's happened. Then it rattles. And he's, oh, I'm so thrilled. It's rattled. Yeah, unless there's some sort of external shock, like, I don't know, there's an American election on at the time, which isn't made clear. Nothing is made clear that would... There's something distracting people from the cubes that makes them especially vulnerable at that point. And what's the what's the point of the cube that plays music? Yeah, if it's if not, <laughs> okay, I'm producing your next stage show. <laughs> what's the point of that if not, in fact, to cater to someone's personal needs? That's a tune that wouldn't have existed on the Shakri homeworld. That's something that's there's someone banging on the outside of the Tower of London saying, "Give me my chicken dance back. I need my cube." <laughs> I assumed that was to antagonize. In fact, I'm surprised there aren't more cues playing the birdie song <laughs> on a loop. <laughs> Just trying to kill everyone. Oh, you mentioned the Tower of London. How do you feel about the unit base? Mostly positive. Yeah, it sets up a nice line about who has a base underground. The ventilation's terrible. I thought it was a bit pants. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Explain yourself. I like that line. But the base itself looks super low budget and very inconvenient to everyone involved. It looks like they're not meant to be there. Exactly. Which I guess is a bit odd. But I, I took it as they're kind of starting up again and it's a bit secretive. Secretive. So look, let's but. pop it in Tourist Central in London. <laughs> yeah, because what we need is Hide more eyes on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Say that again, Jim, without me talking over you. I said hide it in plain sight. <laughs> Nice. I'm glad I listened to that. My own just blaring. I should just stop talking. No. I was, no. Talk, talking, I was talking under you. No, no. <laughs> no, you were talking actual sense. Yeah. That, that, that is a good argument. But still, you'll have a million tourists upstairs wondering why are there soldiers in all black running back and forth? Yeah, that's probably fair. <laughs> yeah, and also the constant booming on the roof from all that footfall. My yes. goodness, you never get anything done. I, I don't mind it being in the Tower of London, but I just didn't like the... I guess this is a maybe a dig at the production values. I didn't like what the base looked like. It looked very low budget. I mean, presumably this is a London landmark, so that's an automatic tick slash free pass in Doctor Who terms. That's true. I mean, could they could they have had it at the top of Tower Bridge? Or can you go to the top of Tower Bridge? I don't know. Everywhere in London is a tourist landmark. How can you have somewhere that everyone will recognise and, you know, on the show and also not have it be frequented by millions? And everyone knows where MI5, MI6, yada, yada. It's, an, it's a public secret. Yeah. They burned it down in Skyfall. <laughs> yeah. Just to butt in with a bit of trivia. Okay. Because apparently... Um it's already been used as unit space in the Christmas Invasion. Aha! Oh, really? And it was referenced in this situation in the Sontaran stratagem. Well done, Jim. Oh. Slash the writers. So there is previous okay. merit for it being here. Fine. But I don't know if we ever saw it like this, if this is a new set. and Fine. Like I said, maybe that, I'm, maybe I'm happy, that can stick with that. I don't know. I'm happy for them to have a base there, but 
please, for the love of all that is pure, turn on the lights in your base. Like the, <laughs> it, it just seemed incredibly low budget. Put a few screens up and some neon lights in one corner that make this a very hazardous work environment. Yeah, no wonder that guy needs glasses. The screen glare is just <laughs> scorching his retinas. It also, it made me think for some reason, I don't know if it is even remotely close to being the same set, mm-hmm. of when Eyepatch Lady... Uh, we've got the time stop kind of environment and everyone's wearing eye patches. I think her base at that point is underground and has this oh. just kind of stone feel. It's in the pyramid, isn't it. it? Is it in a pyramid? Yeah. yeah. But it obviously doesn't have the columns in the middle. It's probably not the same thing. It reminded me of it. it, it All right? It may very well <laughs> be the same like that. All right, Jim, we can't argue with your own memory. <laughs> How do we feel? Mm-hmm. Probably bad. <laughs> Go on then. About how disgusted the doc looks about Amy's normal life at the start of this episode. There I is th- a point, isn't there, where he's just sneering at her and she's just standing there being like, Yeah, yeah what? Yeah, what the fuck? This is my life, dude. <laughs> this is my living room. Get used to it. Yeah. Like, he, he doesn't throw that kind of look at people very often. And I, I took that to be incredibly offensive. <laughs> it's like, dude. This is my life. Like, you hop around in your TARDIS for hundreds of years. I live a human life yeah, that so you apparently want to protect. <laughs> yeah, sorry I'm not <laughs> yeah, laying exactly. Christmas dinner on for you every day. Yeah, yeah. yeah just turn up on Christmas. <laughs> then you'll have Christmas <laughs> dinner. Not on April 31st. <laughs> uh, hang on. There is no April 31st. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't do it. Trying to think of a random date without thinking too hard. <laughs> Jimmy, you had 366 to choose from. <laughs> no, in summary, I agree with Jim. Yeah, I think I agree as well. But not his calendar. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a special day for me. Also, the doc in the lodger and whatever the other one was called, he has already had a taste for this period of, of mankind's day-to-day life. Oh, yeah, he was fine being uh, the lodger, wasn't he? Exactly. Yeah. So why does he find this so offensive to his sensibility? Like, why is he so restless and bored by their day-to-day lives? Because he just wants to play football. He plays a bit of football, doesn't he, in the lodger? Yeah, he, he plays with a football in this one. Exactly. Yeah. He, he just can't sit on a sofa, that's it. He's an outdoor, so it's an aversion he's to an outdoor person. <laughs> yeah, and he won't share the Wii, or Rory and Amy don't have extra controllers or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. It's, it's very convenient. It's Some of the bits in that little montage of his activities... Are, are kind of fun, I guess. But what, where he jumps from 4,999 to 5 million. That's not how counting works. But, but <laughs> <laughs> No wonder he got there in an hour. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the time it takes to kick that ball once <laughs> times 5 million. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but he is very good at football. Oh, he's Matt very Smith. good, Matt yes. Smith wants you to know how close he came to being signed by Northampton. No, North stop Hampton that sentence. Stop that sentence. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Let me guess, though, he injured his knee at a young age. Yeah. Like like every person out there. Yeah, every person who otherwise would definitely have made it into the England yeah. team. Oh, I, absolutely. I think we're up to about 5 billion people that would be <laughs> Premier League footballers if they hadn't injured their knee. <laughs> Sorry if, if any of you out there in podcast land genuinely did injure your knee. <laughs> yeah, there's more to life than football. Yeah, I mean, no objection coming from my <laughs> <laughs> To leap back to the beginning for a second... Okay, leap away. To see Doctor Who patterned out in cubes in the title sequence was pretty cool. That was one of my four things! Oh shit, sorry dude. (laughs) (laughs) 
So you agree with my point. Yes. <laughs> We've pointed this out on a couple of occasions this season of New Who, that the, the Doctor Who title is themed to the episode. We had like a Silurian, Silurian theme. We had a, we have this. Then we have the Jim slash Tartan slash Bondage Gear theme. Mm-hmm. Has it always been themed or was it only those three times? Well, that just leaves out the Daleks, doesn't it? I'm sure there was some Dalek. Yeah, motif. I think it was the the ball. Oh, was it armor? Right, the baubles. <laughs> they wouldn't. They would the just balls. <laughs> I can't believe I just just summarised that as ball armor. <laughs> Do you mean a cup? <laughs> I think the word you're looking for is eggs. <laughs> yes, quite. <laughs> I actually totally blinked on this. I'm having to look at an image and say, oh, it's very nice. Yeah. They also changed the <laughs> colour scheme of this uh, of the intro theme. Red! Yeah, red and pink. Ooh. And there were some more like extra flurries of maybe electricity or whatever when, when the lightning bolts strike the, the edges of the vortex. They're like little extra flurries that they've added in there. Oh, wow, you were paying attention. I much prefer this to the green layer that they did at the start of the season. Mm-hmm. That was dreadful. Anyway, yeah. That's my five cents. I'm going to check that box. Check. <laughs> what else did you have, Drew? Can we talk about the camera work? Yeah, sure. Because we've mentioned... <laughs> <laughs> You're looking at me like you need permission. <laughs> we've, we've mentioned some of the flashy supercuts. There uh-huh. were some nice camera work moments in this. Like, did anyone notice how quite a few of the cubes, when you pan up from Brian, he's ringing their doorbell at the beginning, and the camera is moving upwards, which itself is quite a, you know an artful shot. Loads of the cubes were in groups of three. In oh, that shot. Like there were three on their, their ledge above the door and there are threes throughout the episode. I mean, perhaps that is down to chance, but I don't think it quite is. I'm sure it's not. Yeah. Oh, I had not picked up on that. Very nice. Have I misremembered something as well? Or was there a scene in Unit HQ? For, it is Unit HQ, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where they were spinning the camera around. Yes. And then it cuts to another scene where the camera carries on that motion as if it's been flung out and it just kind of moves across a shelf or something like that and then stays on the I didn't register that I don't remember that I remember they were spinning round Kate the Doctor and is it Amy I can't remember and they're going round and round and round and round but then Kate has to say a few more things so it jumps and it's still going round them but but it goes back 180 degrees so it's quite disorienting yeah I remember it being broken up a bit and being a bit odd like the if you're going to do that, you want to do a single take and just have the camera rotating the entire time. Mm. But I, I did like, I, I'm pretty sure the next scene, it was just panning across a shelf or something. And it kind of felt like the, the <laughs> camera had just been flung out of the unit HQ and just landed in this room. <laughs> so why are they doing this? Because they seem to have really put a lot of effort into this episode, into making it flashy. Dunno. Because I guess they had just inanimate boxes as their other... Oh, so otherworldly this is, stuff. I this is know. like a counterpoint. Oh, I don't think. Yeah. I don't think so. Maybe they just changed DPs or something, or maybe someone watched a tutorial on YouTube. <laughs> I I didn't pick up on these things, admittedly, but I don't think that it necessarily juxtaposes what's going on in the narrative of this episode. No. It's, okay. I mean, but add also into it that you've got the same old news anchors delivering their two cents over mm-hmm. and over again. But not only that, you have it going out from one to four to nine to a huge block of screens, and it's constantly glitch-cutting between, 
you know, Brian Cox to Bri- more Brian Cox, and it's just it's hyperactive. Brian Cox not the only celebrity cameo in this one. As a member of the Alan Sugar Babes, how did you feel about Alan Sugar showing up in this? The Alan Sugar Babes being me, Nick, and Rory me- meeting up to jam <laughs> once every eighteen months. <laughs> I had com- no opinion on that whatsoever. Okay. I hated it. I hated it also. <laughs> Mainly because I hate The Apprentice and Alan Sugar. Alan Sugar, exactly. <laughs> but just... Alan Sugar, I'm re- I hope you're listening. <laughs> but, you know, the guy sitting to Alan Sugar's left on The Apprentice is now the host of Countdown. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't even... I Was My eyes Nick, were locked Nick on Alan Sugar. Nick Brewer? Something like that. I kind of... I did like that it was sort of lampooning it. And I'm not sure if Alan Sugar realised that. I don't think he did. No. I'll, I give him more credit than that. <laughs> I don't no, know. Alan, this is our homage to you. We're just so glad you're here. No, no, I'm sure it's not necessarily an homage, but it's like you are one of the MVPs of <laughs> of this, you know, of BBC of this broadcasting company. As one of the MVPs, we would like to... Uh, would you like to be flaunted? It's the equivalent of having Trump in Home Alone 2. Yeah, I think Alan Sugar has a little more self-awareness. Although, obviously, Trump is constantly, consciously machinating and hoping we'll attribute it to his stupidity. But no, I think Alan Sugar was on board with everything they were going for here. Okay. Probably was. I don't feel like they took know. the piss out of him in any way. So I, I don't think he has any reason to be offended except no it's not by us saying that we hate him <laughs> well, uh, yeah if, if he wants to be offended by that more to marry. um I, I just feel like it was probably intentional on someone's part that the task of selling the cubes which are ubiquitous is so ridiculous to fit along with the task that they actually set on the apprentice hmm well, uh, they do that, don't they? On the I don't watch The Apprentice, but I've only he seen does it, say, like, "Here are ten lollipop sticks. Go and make a viable business out of it." And they fail miserably. Yeah. So that, that yeah, it, like it, it is kind of the kind of thing they do. But I think it was also kind of lampooning that that's the kind of thing they do. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I had a, a vague Star Wars radar go off. Oh, here with, we go. Going back to the Shakri hologram guy. We need a jingle oh. for Jim's vague Star Wars that's knockoffs. A, that's a super good idea. <laughs> Wait, can we improvise one now? Oh, there's there's a super jingly Star Wars tune. I can't quite think how to do One that isn't Star Wars still. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a little interlude one that kind of... Yeah. Oh, I know, what you, I know exactly what you're thinking of. <laughs> Yeah, originally when the hologram Shakri guy appeared, I because I think he's firing some kind of lightning bolt. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh my God, he's the emperor. He's Darth Sidious. But then you see him a bit closer up and it's like, no, he's not. He's Darth Vader without his helmet on. Oh. So he's kind of two in one wham. Oh, Wham, bam. Thank you, Vader (laughs) man. Wham, (laughs) wham. See, I just had him in my mind as Van Nomalos from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Oh. <laughs> in the role of Q in most of TNG, putting humanity on trial. Uh, yeah. Oh. Except they did it much better on TNG. Yes. Apart from the Doctor's speech. The Doctor's speech is really good. That's not the only Doctor's speech, by the way. Oh, wait, am I thinking of the other one? I'm thinking of the one where the, humanity isn't running away. We're running, they're running towards the challenges and all that stuff. Yeah. It's uh, not quite that. The Doctor is running 
to Amy and Rory before they fade. Yeah. They yeah. sat on the banks of the town. Yeah, I think they're no, quite... that is the one. I think I might be conflating the two speeches in this one, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. I think the running two thing has a echo later, or is it? Or is it part of the same speech? Because he says he's running. He's running towards them before they fade out of his life, or something. Yeah. But I'm sure he says running to you in a different context as well. I wouldn't be surprised because we are circling the black the drain hole <laughs> that I alluded to at the beginning of the episode. Well, okay, before we jump into said rabbit hole, yeah. is this is this in your minds maybe the equivalent of last day before retirement? Uh, oh, here's a picture of my girlfriend. She's pregnant, don't you know? Like, is it not maybe? hamming up how valuable Amy and Rory are to the Doctor now before the next episode where spoilers, either they die, which I think, or they get sent back in time, which I think maybe Marie theorised the last I, time I talked I about this. I think that's the case as well. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah, Marie and I were as one on that. Okay. Yeah, as was I, because that's what happens. Oh, <laughs> Great spoiler for me. <laughs> Yeah, it was only when I realised how close we were to the end. I, I thought we had a couple of episodes left. I hadn't quite realised the next one is is the final one. Yeah. They, you do kind of start thinking, oh, they are shoving this in your face. They really like, are, though. But then it also doesn't really make sense. It's too too late to do this kind of stuff. But like, it's exactly what you do with any character before you send them to the exit. I was watching a few episodes of Walking Dead this morning, and I think on two occasions, someone would literally just talk about it. Oh, don't we have a great life here? <laughs> this is wonderful. I'm, you know, I'm planting carrots. I'm, I'm sowing carrots. Oh, fuck, whatever you do with carrots. <laughs> I'm having a great time. There are zombies on the other side of the wall, but I'm so happy and I'm going to live forever. Cut to that guy clearly getting bitten, you know. And, and here they are spending an entire... The title of this episode, The Power of Three, then ending that episode on The Power of Three is this particular trio... Clearly, those two are going to be bitten by zombies, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Also, A, why does Amy have a voiceover? I suppose to set this up. Because that line is so ham-fisted and in-your-face, there's no way a character could deliver it except by breaking the fourth wall. Wait, excuse me. Didn't Rose also get a voiceover towards the end? Did she? Oh. I'm almost certain that she did. She says, I'm Rose Tyler, this is the day I died. Yes, exactly. Ah! Exactly. Boom. This is it. This is what they do. Yeah. And I super hated the whole, oh, they're cubes, power of three. Look at us three stood here. (laughs) Yes, yes. This is what the Shakri never realised. Well, the Shakri weren't thinking about you three, you egocentric friggin'. You know what? I quite liked it, but I did also think, well, you're, this is just shoving it in our faces. (laughs) You could have called this episode something completely different and and then you couldn't make that reference. To be honest, I probably wouldn't have got it if they hadn't shoved it in my face, (laughs) but I didn't need it shoved in my face anyway. (laughs) Yeah, it was some pungent cheese. So rabbit hole, Drew. Yes, okay, so this rabbit hole. This rabbit hole encompasses quite a few things. Mm -hmm. We talked about the uh, speech that the Doctor has. Um, Okay, We'll go with the sp- the speech will come up. Did anyone also notice the Henry VIII reappearance in this episode? Yes, this was first referenced in the Mercy episode, right? Yes, yeah. but Rory had already left his phone charger in Henry VIII's on suite by back then. So why are they going now? They're going back to pick up his phone. Yeah, to fix it, <laughs> to to correct that mistake, right? Possibly. I don't That's know. Not- I don't remember that reference before, so. That's when they yeah. arrive in Mercy and they're just 
it's just dropped as a line. So it's a yeah. completely, yeah, okay. you know, unnecessary line, except they want you to pick it up now in some way, or they want it to link to this now. I like that. I think that's a nice little reference. It's subtle enough that it's not in your face and that it takes three dudes sitting around microphones talking for over an hour to to get to it, you know? Well, maybe that is, they pitched it at the right level then because they they left it so, so that sort of um, implicit level and fan theories have grown up about this. Oh, really? Right? There are quite a few. Some people think that when the Doctor took them away during the party for seven weeks, a town called Mercy happened in those seven weeks. Oh. So that they would go to the Savoy and then they would go to Henry VIII's thing and then they would go to a town called Mercy and then they would go back to the party. I love that. I love that. That is great. That is an excellent theory. I hope that's the case. You could have that be an entire series though, couldn't you? Is well, <laughs> yes. well rather, that is Jim. <laughs> there, there are so more theories. Okay, the BBC America trailer for Series 7 says... Wait, BBC America? Yes, okay. yes. But still, this is... This is set up by the people in charge Nothing, none yeah. of this happens by accident okay the voiceover which is not the doctor but it's just you know it's september one <laughs> doctor who comes back and anyway it says every story has a beginning a middle and an end but not always in that order oh so that could be alluding to mercy and well done bbc america <laughs> or it could be something bigger some people have theorized that for the doctor he experiences all the episodes in this series, in this first half of the series, in reverse. So that, right? So that he drops, the, he, he loses the ponds in Manhattan. He can't see them in their future, even though that's in Earth's past, from that time, in their time stream. So what he then does is he goes back within their time stream, in effect, but still going forward in his, and that doesn't violate the paradox, so he gets to see a bit more pond. And so people say, right, that this is very... That, that I'll give you some evidence for this. So are you basically saying that he is now spending time with them after seeing them die? Yes. Or being sent back in time, whatever. Whichever theory... Like, wait two weeks and then we'll get to the bottom of that. But like, are you saying this is him now knowing exactly where they're heading? Yes, and this is also why he says to a... Brian, oh no, they don't die. They never die because they, they don't, but they do get chucked back in time. And it's why he's saying to Amy on the riverbank, our lives can't run the same way. They won't always run the same way. And that's why he's saying, I'm running to you before you fade because he knows what's going to happen. Oh, someone, someone hand me a tissue. That, <laughs> not for my tears. That is amazing. That's a perfectly reasonable, plausible theory, right? Do you want to hear some more in its favour? Yes, please. Okay. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hang on, Jim. Well, Jim, come on, Jim. There. I was going to throw in a possible counter to it. but I Oh, there do, are I many mean, counters. Keep your spanners to yourself. <laughs> no, no, come on, Jim. Break open great. your toolbox. Well, <laughs> is it not the Doctor that starts a conversation saying to Amy, you're thinking about leaving? Like, he... he broaches this topic he could he could just let that slide that they might be pondering the uh, pondering (laughs) 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 unintentional like stopping traveling with him but if he knows literally in their time stream it's not very far away where they're going to get thrown back in time and he's never going to see them again why would he start that conversation yeah do you think maybe that's him 
hoping that he is wrong and that they will alter the timeline in their own favour. I don't think he Why would, would ever... he... They, they can't alter the timeline in their own favour at this point because the whole point is that that point is so fixed in Manhattan that he can't go and see them again because space and time would fall apart. So he's got to leave that well alone. We had a very similar thing with River Song. Why couldn't we have it with River's parents? Yeah. I'm not saying either of these theories are great. I'm not, I'm not totally on board with it, but here's some more stuff in its favour. Okay. I was ranting last week about Amy hasn't got the memo and everything, and the Doctor should be building up to being a war criminal in the 50th, but it's, it's not working out. Because in Daleks, Asylum of the Daleks, he, by the way, saying, I'm looking for reverse, shoved the Dalek into the room, blew up all the Daleks. Yeah. Big... It's not quite genocidal, but big statement. And then in Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, he kills Solomon, essentially, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And in A Town Called Mercy, he points the gun at Jex, but doesn't fire it. So it's getting smaller all the time. But if you reverse it, it's actually building in the right direction. Because that's going, because that's going forward in the Doctor's timeline, and he's becoming more of a dick as his time goes by. Oh, I see what you're saying. But he's he's still spending time at the ponds. He's still travelling with companions. Why yeah. why would it be escalating? Yeah, good point. Because he's ageing. He's getting closer to the point in his own timeline when we are celebrating the 50th and he's a war criminal. I don't know, right? Like, it, it's not to say people can't grieve in different ways, but why would why would he be getting more and more angry about also, humanity would, not always being saved or something? I don't know what he would be getting angry about. Yeah, yeah exactly. And... Uh, it, Slash, are we attributing the loss of these two companions in particular to the whole of the time war? Yeah. No, no, that's not... That seems... Yeah. yeah. I mean, Mm. buddy, Doc, come on. You've (laughs) lost a shit ton, a metric shit ton of companions at this point. You've caused countless deaths. These two don't really matter. Yeah, yeah, they do. Amy's face was the first face this face saw. I like that line. I like that line as well. But... Ice cream, anyone? Ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) But there have been plenty of faces before this one, and the previous faces have also lost companions, and they haven't caused time wars. As as the doctor (laughs) himself says, he's had companions die. Yeah, like he said, that's not a bigger. Some of them have died. Yeah, if that's not a bigger level, I don't know what is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We had what's a face from uh, Troy who like ejected into space. To save his life, and he continued his life. It's fine. Picked up more hitchhikers. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying any of this makes perfect sense. I don't think if you take the timeline as presented to us, it's a particularly well-constructed season. I don't think backwards it is either, because the ponds are clearly going in their direction. But if you turn the theory backwards, people adduce things for that theory based on the ponds also experiencing that in reverse. It doesn't make sense. So. I think what they're trying to do is, if they are trying to do this at all, is leave it open enough for the for these possibilities. But no one ends up satisfied. It's like with Sherlock when when he jumped off the building, and was he saved? Was there a cushion? No, this is infinitely better than the Sherlock one. (laughs) Well, all I'm saying is it's like that on the level of there are a number of options, and it's never actually resolved definitively what's happening. But a difference between these two franchises is, or sorry, between these two unresolved issues is that in the in the Sherlock 
whatever, that cliffhanger, that almost literal cliffhanger. The Reichenbach fall. Exactly. It is, like, part of the spiel is that we don't know when we are forced to speculate. He, or his, uh, I mean, Lestrange, Lestrange, is that his name? Lestrade. Lestrade, thank you. Lestrade. Riddell. Even, yes, exactly, even speculates on screen in Sherlock. And we get all these, like, we get Darren Brown show up, and we get, oh, maybe he, he didn't fall, maybe someone else fell, yada, yada, yada. We, it's part of the narrative here. They don't seem to make a fuss. Fans have made a fuss and have delved deeper into this. And it seems as though, actually, it works out. Even if that wasn't their original intention, Yeah, maybe, if the maybe. maths check out, then fucking believe in them, dude. Yeah, maybe they did go back to Henry VIII's thing. To pick up the phone charger. I think they did regardless, but I think the greater point is when did they do that? Did they do that during the party slash right after going to a town called Versi? Yeah. Or was there another adventure in between? Yeah. Oh, I love this theory. (laughs) This is amazing stuff, dude. We can't have the entire series fitting in that gap, though, Uh because otherwise Brian would have done it. Okay, so Brian shows up in Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. Yeah, and the Doctor doesn't seem to know who he is. He's like, who are you? What are you doing here? And then Rory goes, this is my dad. And then the Doctor says, oh, hi, Brian. Now, either he, Rory has mentioned Brian, which he's never done in the rest of the episodes, but he talks about him with the Doctor in the TARDIS, and he's like, yeah, I've got a dad called Brian. He, he, he's really boring, so you probably never meet him. But, but is, then, is my brain too, too melty or... Because the Doctor always goes to them and picks them up, and at one time, Brian is there. Yeah. Does that mean it can't have happened in this this little period? Because otherwise, Brian would know yeah. at the party that he went on that adventure in the gap at the party. Yeah, Brian is an anchor. <laughs> at, the, at the beginning of this episode, Brian is completely on board with That's who the right. Doctor is. No, you're right. You're 100% right. But the thing is, if they are trying to do something timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly, get Brian right. You know, don't make it so opaque that it, he doesn't seem like the same Brian that we saw at the end of the last episode. Yeah. I mean, I'm not buying the fan theory. This is where, where I'm basically sitting. Right. But I really like the idea. I would have loved if they'd taken these six episodes, because it is six episodes. It's a bit more controlled environment to play with. And they did it where the Doctor was running one direction and the ponds were running another. But it was explicit. Yeah. that's okay. I would have liked that. But but what if we it, we make it slightly less dramatic? It's not perfectly diametrically opposed positions and directions. It's literally only a town called Mercy and the flashback that we get to see in this episode. Yeah. So the only episode that we've reviewed so far that is actually affected by them leaving the party is a town called Mercy. That's definitely more concretely verifiable. And I think that works. I think that checks out. What do they flash at the start of this episode? When Amy is doing voiceover at the start of this episode, she says, like, this is life with the Doctor. And there are a load of things flashed. Is there anything from Town Called Mercy in that? I, I, I tried know. to look. I think, I think there is, but I don't think it's in any particular order. Because that would imply that the showrunners aren't intending this to be a thing. If she's talking about hmm. the context of this episode, that's true. oh, I see. Uh, because start, that the, that's right already happened. Beginning. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, that is true. Although she is narrating at that point of the episode from the vantage point of this of the future, yeah. of her future. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's an interesting idea, though. Definitely. Oh, I love it. Yeah, and it would also make Clara's sort of tease make a bit more temporal sense. Yeah, I, I had that float around my head that it makes her basically appear just before she then reappears. Yeah. Yeah. 
what I can't, and we're going to have to wait two weeks to get to this, what I can't remember is why <laughs> it's such a big deal the Doctor can't go back in time and save Amy and Rory. Because that kind of negates all of this stuff, but I hope they explain that properly in Angels Take Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know either. Because we, cause I, I, think I we, thought they died. Yeah, but you guys are completely. <laughs> we're we're completely saying me. you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, technically, they do die, but by being old. Okay. Spoilers. Sorry. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, we get to see her grave, though. Yes. Okay. Good. So at least I recall that. <laughs> Shall we jump into ratings? Because I don't know where we're gonna go after that. Yeah? Yeah. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 Ratings. Oh my sweet bejesus, I'm finding this hard to rate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just just starting out there. Yeah. For the first time, I think, ever, I wrote a score down. I've crossed it out. I wrote another score down. I crossed that out. <laughs> <laughs> how long are we? How long have we got? <laughs> if, I think if you carried on talking, I would be crossing it out again. <laughs> Really? So I started <laughs> I started so so happy with this episode. I enjoyed watching it and didn't engage my critical brain too much whilst watching it. That's just what they wanted. Yeah. <laughs> had had some negative notes, had some question notes, but it feels like now we've sat down and talked about it, there's very little substance left <laughs> when when you take away the bad resolution. I still think it's a nice little premise. I think the cube idea is brilliant. I think they're executed really well. And I think until the last bit, there's not too much techno babble or anything too complicated to kind of follow along with. It's just that last resolution that really just throws things out of kilter totally. And I kind of see where Drew comes from with Brian's character. But I think in regards to everyone else, this is them being them as well, which seems to be a rarity in this series. Oh, because Rory wasn't Rory at all. Rory wasn't Rory. I think Amy's not been Amy a lot of the time. The Doctor's not even been the Doctor a lot of the time. He's been pulling out guns and stuff. Yeah. This seems to be them all back to their normal selves, having some fun. And it's it's more like the ride that we expected from the previous series of Doctor Who and Matt Smith's era. So I, I enjoyed it a lot more from that point of view. But you can't ignore the massive elephant in the room, which is how terrible the resolution is. And because of that, I, I just... I started at a 4.1. I knocked that down to a 3.4. Wow. Okay. And I've settled finally on a 3.2. Because ultimately, <gasps> I still enjoyed it. Oh, so close. I had you at a 3.1. <laughs> <laughs> that is a nice rating in numbers and words. Thank you. <laughs> what have you got, Drew? Mine's a bit more expansive. Remember when we finished Series 5 and we were astonished that anyone could have thought that was the best run of what a lot of us think is the best Doctor? Trenton definitely said it was the best one, and I think some others were less explicitly that way inclined. But we concluded that Amy had been mostly terrible throughout, it had Vampires of Venice, and Matt Smith didn't seem one-third expended at that point. Then we had Series 6, that was decent too, but surely not the best episode. You had Curse of the Black Spot, the silence drifted in and out of the show like a stale fart, they didn't kill Hitler, (laughs) and Rory didn't need to be there for most of it. When were he and Amy going to get really good? But I ask you, how can anyone possibly love series seven either i love the idea of an unlinked anthology of adventures after the silent shenanigans it strikes me as the perfect tonic and i also rate the idea of a series through line being a more personal journey for amy and rory rather than just breadcrumbing to the boss level but either unintentionally or not they've gone about it all backwards if unintentionally this is just bad continuity and show running and 
making sense of your notes. If intentionally, this is extremely clever, but also massively irresponsible. Who's going to go back and watch these in reverse order to see if they make more sense that way? I get that Moffat may be trying out timey-wimey trickery, but Doctor Who also has to be a show you can enjoy while gently spooning it, rather than having to deep-throat the head writer's riddle stiffy every week. (laughs) Jesus. The head dry mouths are never explained. They're entirely superfluous. But this episode does have great moments. For the first 25 minutes, despite the crazy editing, for me, like Jim, it was hovering in the low fours. When the countdown flicks from four to three, and you think, oh, that's because they've just got Brian. I thought that was so ominous and so beautiful a moment. But at the same time, why are the cubes giving people humanity seven minutes to distance themselves if they've waited this long to be the perfect threat why are they then giving people enough time to run away and so many questions suddenly crop up the episode falls to pieces how does the doctor intuit from there are seven transmitting stations or seven sort of gatherings of energy across the world that there's seven wormholes don't know never explained not explained at all it doesn't pop up on unit screen i mean how could it but from that he gets to the shakri but there's no actual organic way in which that could possibly happen in which we he could figure that out so ah there's a ton of tension doc has two great speeches go on leon what do you think i'm gonna give it 2.1 2.6 oh so So you you went from fours to 2.6 yeah wow in episode as well. Yeah. I I, stu- I wrote that down before this review because I agonised over what to give it, like <laughs> you did. I'm glad that I wrote this beforehand because I had written both the score that I had originally intended to give this, and I started at your score, Jim. I started at 3.2. Oh, wow. Because I think that there's a lot of good intention behind this episode. The premise of this cuboid Trojan horse is fascinating to me. I love that idea. And I love that it takes place over so long a time and people have just embraced the presence of these mysterious cubes. The UN has deemed them harmless. Oh, it's fine. Take them into your homes. Put them in your baby's cribs. It's wonderful. I love that idea. I also quite enjoy the interplay between the Doc and the Companions and Brian as just an individual, as a character. I enjoy Brian. I think I enjoyed Brian the last time we saw him as well. However, everything that we've discussed in this review so far (laughs) by sides, I think the tempo of this episode is where it's faulted, effectively. I said before, I think they've tried to cram too much into this one episode, And I think that is exactly what's affecting the tempo. I think that's why we get these abrupt cuts in plot points. I think that's why it ends so abruptly. I think that's why we have these questions that remain unanswered. What are the patients aboard the ship about? Why don't they mind getting rid of said patients? This is why there are so many things stuffed in there. And that probably, not probably, possibly were intended to be explored further in the final episode but that were never explored you know i just thought something else there are seven shakri ships the dock is on one one, and the other six are completely unaffected that there's nobody on the other six saying hang on our seventh ship is malfunctioning it's reversing everything we should probably look at this yeah Ah! you say reverse one of my very last notes for this episode is that the conclusion, the resolution of this episode is kind of reminiscent to me of the Pertwee era, of the, specifically of the 
reverse the polarity of the neutron flow as being the go-to solution of any alien invasion. And that's basically what the Doctor does now. It's not only what he does with the Chakra, it's what he does with humanity. That's how humanity is resuscitated on Earth, right? So those are nice little references. But here's what I want to do. I want to give the fan theory a 4.6 because that is (laughs) super clever. I love that. However... And bear in mind, I started at a 3.2. This review so far has talked me down. And what do you think, Jim? Yeah, what do you, what do you guys think? I think he's going to end up with like a 1.9. I think he's going to end up with a 2.9. It's a 2.5. Oh, uh, we're both, we're both so shit. I, so I, I, started, I started where you ended up, Jim, and I ended up pretty much on, uh, yeah. on Drew's level. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Okie dokie. Shall we listen to uh, Podcast Land? Yeah. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. So our first review is from Trenton Bless. Hello, Trenton. Trenton begins, I've been pretty harsh lately with New Who, so let's do one that's just okay, in my opinion. I mean, Power 3 was not a terrible story. (laughs) Unit was okay. Moffat era unit isn't that great, but it gets a pass here. The humour was actually funny for once. Yeah. And the serious moments were good. The scene where Brian asked for Doctor about his past companions was a beautifully sad moment. Agreed. The main dilemma here is Amy and Rory having to decide between their regular boring lives (laughs) (laughs) or the Doctor. Of course they choose the Doctor. They couldn't leave the TARDIS on their own. Now, where have I seen or will see this before? That scene with Amy and the Doctor by the Thames was also another wonderful scene. Trenton continues, Power of Three's villain is really kind of boring. It's basically just sitting around waiting for something to happen with those cubes. It takes a year for the cubes to do anything. I mean, the tension built and built and built. And the payoff? Not good. Just another Gallifreyan legend the Doctor stops through sonic wizardry. Yup. Though I think Amy and Rory should have left a while back, says Trenton. I'm glad we get this sort of extended farewell for them. Even if it's all over next time. The villain was weak and very much shoved to the side. But the focus was where it should have been. This episode gets a pass, and the rating is 3.0 out of 5. See what you did there, Trenton. Oh, nice one. <laughs> Thank you, Trenton. Thank you very much. Peeps who are not Trenton, you should follow Trenton on Twitter if you're not already. He is at Trenton Bless. That's blessed with two what's? S's. That's right. Leon, read out the next one. The next one comes from Star Wars Sill, Star Wars Sill, Star Wars Sill. Hello, Star Wars Sill. Star Wars Sill starts. This episode creeped me out the first time I saw it, and I did it again on this rewatch. The cubes in the mouths are disturbing images for me. That being the case, Star Wars Sill continues, it's a very lucky thing that the Shankri give up so easily. Steal their toys, blow up a ship the Shankri aren't even on, and we're good to go. I rather expected the Doctor to express some disappointment that the monsters under child Time Lord's beds turned out to be pushovers. Also, apparently not too dedicated to wiping out humanity. I thought maybe it was a classic Who villain return, but when I took to the TARDIS wiki, as we all did, Star Wars Sill, that did not seem to be the case. I mean, says Star Wars Sill, the Doctor can't, didn't convince the Shakri to not go after humanity, and the Shakri weren't even defeated. Simply one weapon was proved to be inadequate. So they give up? I'm not exactly complaining. I don't think I'd want this to be a two-parter. But... Just to jump in with... 
an extra point in that direction. Stephen Burkhoff spends half of his scene saying, The tally must be met and humanity must be exterminated. There's Maybe must of- mean something different in the Shakri homeworld. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> All right, Star Wars Sill continues. I love the scenes where the Doctor is trying to live with Amy and Rory. I also love Brian's enthusiasm, dedication, and how his imagination has grown since we last saw him. I also enjoyed the little clips of adventures when the Doctor, Rory, and Amy left the party. And Star Wars Sill rates this... 3.0 out of 5 strategies the Shakri could have employed if they were actually serious about declaring war on humanity, but just were too bored and tired to bother. Oh I see what you did there, Star Wars Sill. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> awesome stuff. Thank you, Star Wars Sill. Yeah, very, very good stuff. Thank you very much. Star Wars Sill, I hope you're enjoying Star Wars Celebration in Chicago, was it? Star Wars Celebration? <laughs> 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 is this their own con that they've put together? For Star Wars Sale, it's the Star Wars Sale con. Of course, yes. <laughs> <laughs> People who are not Star Wars Sale, follow Star Wars Sale online. Star Wars Sale can be found at Star Wars Sale. Next up, we've got Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Hello, Michael. Hi, Michael. Love you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Less contempt next time. My love for Michael is a beautiful thing. <laughs> Michael had very few things to love in this episode, by the looks of it. There are some things he liked. There's one thing he liked. There is a thing he liked, <laughs> which is Stephen Burkoff. Legend. <laughs> the bigger list, of course, is some um, beefs. Starting with, oh dear, oh dear. Oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> and... Does the time period for this episode make sense? After almost a year of the cubes doing nothing, people would have binned them. Why would they be littering the streets after a year? They're still street cleaners, right? No one noticed the little robot girl sitting in the hospital in the same place in the same clothes for a whole year? Does the Hubak Wen gang buy it that ten years have passed since the doctor met grown-up Amy in the eleventh hour? I think that's the least controversial time point of this episode. <laughs> yeah, agreed. You know, actually, just to butt in again with an extra thing, the cubes being sat in cutlery trays is the thing that bothered me the most, I think. (laughs) People don't know what to do with cutlery trays. (laughs) It's like, no, you use that daily. Don't put a cube in it. You don't don't know it's not potentially unhygienic. Why are there cubes in the hospital? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, people people would collect these things together a bit more over a year. They'd probably start building houses out of them. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Michael's next beef is cube mouth guys. Who were these again? What were they doing kidnapping people? What happened to the cube mouth guys on the spaceship? Oh, there goes my point that I thought only I had made. <laughs> Why did they have cube mouths? <laughs> <laughs> the next beef is it's just supposed to be a screwdriver! <laughs> what a cop-out lazy ending. Whole new level of shit. <laughs> the... Seventh Doctor didn't have to cheat with a sonic screwdriver. He used his wit and cunning and occasionally explosives. Stephen Burkov, legend, legend, criminally underused. Seriously, you get someone of that caliber and use him for three fucking minutes and 22 seconds. I timed it because watching people watch Cubes or Amy and Rory chatting about their lives, yawn, makes way more interesting television. 
And Michael continues with a really substantial beef. I agree with Marie's comments in your Spaceship on a Dinosaur review. Hang on a minute. I have Amy slash Rory fatigue. These characters have been utterly assassinated with the forgotten Melody River baby and marriage breakdown storylines. Why is the Doctor stalking them? (laughs) He's never stalked any other companions he met upon regeneration. Maybe the producers are preparing for a high-impact drama following their fate in the next episode. But with hindsight, there isn't any impact. There aren't any consequences. By the Doctor being a little miffed in The Snowmen, I don't think Amy and Rory are mentioned ever again. We certainly never see Arthur Weasley confront the Doctor on what happened to them. <laughs> oh, oh, I would pay money to see that. And the summary that Michael gives is mostly offensive. <laughs> <laughs> Great callback, Michael. And the rating. <gasps> oh, my goodness, the rating. Oh, wow. 1.1 out of 5 um, cubes. <laughs> <laughs> One point goes to the 3 minutes and 22 seconds of Stephen Burkhoff. Legend. Legend. Which leaves 0.1 for the entire rest of the episode. <laughs> Is it too late to change my rating? Yes. <laughs> Why don't you tell us what you really think, Michael? Oh, wow. <laughs> Michael, that is an awesome video. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of Podcast Land, you should follow Michael online. He is on Twitter at bad underscore movie underscore, underscore club. <laughs> <laughs> right, next up we have... Jim the Fish. Hello, Jim. Jim. (laughs) Jim starts a shitload of cubes are put on Earth and the Doctor shows up. He decides to stay for some reason. The government decides to let the mysterious indestructible space cubes be used by average citizens for door stoppers, paper holders and decoration. Nothing further is made of them. (gasps) I'm sorry, I've seen the end of the review and I can't contain myself. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, Jim. Jim continues, A year later, nobody bothered to pick up these bloody cubes and the government ignores them. Roy's dad starts filming the cubes to fill in the time since he has no life. Yeah, since he's seen the Earth, what what, what more does he have left to live for? Been there, done that. I think Jim's irritation is beginning to show. (laughs) (laughs) All the cubes stop and Unit shows up. The cubes don't fucking shit up. A laser hits the doctor. Rory's dad suffers the trauma of his cube opening and closing. I think Jim may be a little peeved by this point. (laughs) (laughs) They start counting down from seven. Unit does nothing. The doctor concludes the cubes were finding humanity's weak spots and locks himself in a room with the cube. Wait, are these live tweets as he was watching the episode? (laughs) (laughs) He has a heart attack. Everyone does. And this is communicated by seeing three people fall over on a security camera feed. (laughs) The hospital is flooded. And then Rory's dad wanders into a portal to a spaceship. The doctor gets a defibrillator, starts his heart, and then enters the ship. The guest actor for the villain basically refused to do his lines midway through production, meaning that Chibnall had to scramble for a proper ending. Do you think that's true? Is that true? Seriously? I mean, Stephen well, Burkhoff could just shut it down, couldn't yeah, he? Yeah, he could. <laughs> if anyone. And frankly, I would, I would allow him. <laughs> With Stephen Burkhoff. <laughs> we had a little break and I was looking up his details on Wikipedia. And he apparently is a theatrical um, actor and does look down on all his film work. <laughs> so I wouldn't put it past him to say, this is a pile of shit. <laughs> I'm out of it. <laughs> Uh, surely he'd just say, scratch me from the record entirely. I, I want this to be buried and nobody can ever reveal I was part of this production. 
Maybe. Mm. Oh, but Jim the Fish, it's so plausible. <laughs> the Jim the Fish continues, or concludes rather, Chibnall being the genius he is, setting up the ending of The Power of Three well in advance with the sonic screwdriver being introduced decades earlier. <laughs> <laughs> and he gives this a rating of... In bold font... <laughs> So fucking boring. <laughs> 0.7 out of 5. Oh, wow. Hey, guys, is it too late for me to change my rating? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jim, tell us what you really think. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was amazing, Jim. That was uh, absolutely I, brilliant. Am I right in saying you didn't enjoy this episode? <laughs> Yeah, sorry, sorry for making you watch on past that point where you stopped before, Jim. I feel guilty about that every week. <laughs> yeah, but 0.7 is on the good side of 0.6, right? It's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, thank you so much for this mini. This is brilliant stuff. Next and last, we have a review from... Tracy, Tracy from, from America. America. Hello, Tracy. Hi, Tracy. Tracy starts, how are we feeling about the opening theme with pink cotton candy clouds and checkered TARDIS logo? Hmm, I like... But mostly because I'm hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Maybe I should rethink my opinion on the Dr. Rory kiss thing. Because right now, Rory seems okay with kissing. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to even begin to think whether that works better forwards or backwards. (laughs) Tracy continues. (laughs) Chibs is bad at pacing? Question mark. No need for a question mark there, Tracy. I think I was mostly on board with this episode until near the end. I like the examination of the Doctor's unique relationship with his companions in general, and that of these specific companions. But then the episode wrap-up is too quick, and throughout there are details with the wrong amount of time spent on them. Why do we need the box mouths and droid girl? Why the elevator cloud wall? We barely get any time to save a knowing Arfo. We spent a decent stretch of time moralising with him, only to find out he's just an interface the Doctor can easily override. Didn't make sense. Cubed actually means the power of three is a dumb line. Yes, Still it is, not Tracy. As bad. <laughs> yes, it is, Tracy. <laughs> Still not as bad as, do you know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? The same thing that happens to everything else. Yeah, that is definitely the worst part of X-Men 1. As I remember, Halle Berry had a stinker of a line in every single X-Man film. Oh, really? X-Man film? You know, uh, An X-Man film. <laughs> yeah. Possibly because she wasn't an X-Man. I mean, I, I assume there was some sexism involved because bad lines just followed her around. <laughs> oh. Like a storm chaser. Anyway, Tracy's rating is... More like the power of I had to watch it three times to remember who the enemy was behind those cubes. Ooh. Sick burn, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Tracy. Tracy can be found on Twitter. Oh, she, she can? Yes. Do you know where? At Yekatniathnuf. That's Fountain Tracy. Backwards, almost. And that's it for Listener Miniland. Where are we heading uh, to after this? First, we have a classic review. We will have a classic, yes. Terror of the Zygons. That's right. Underneath the Savoy, potentially. Oh, (laughs) Oh, no, please tell me no. (laughs) I'm just going to throw this out there. Okay. If I forget, or I'm not on next week's Angels Take Manhattan, just think that they could be Zygons. (gasps) Oh, come on. That ruins every episode, potentially. (laughs) You bastard. (laughs) Which, of course, would be our next new Who review will be Angels Take Manhattan. That's right. Bunch of Muppets. (laughs) (laughs) In the meantime, you can say hello to us on Twitter. We are Drew. I am at Drew back when? Jim. I'm at Jimmy the Who. And I am at Pumpkin. Yeah, we're all on Twitter this week. That's right. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. You've been a lovely audience. Until the next time, rock on. Ciao, ciao, and... Oh, (laughs) bye-bye. See ya.
Toodles. <laughs> Kablamo. Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hooray. Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own. Browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?